0: Well, we are continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark. We're calling the series Servant and Savior. And today we come to Mark chapter 8. In the middle of chapter 8 is where we're at today. We're calling the message today, Questions. He's got questions. And that he, of course, is Jesus. And uh, Jesus responds with a multitude of questions in the passage days. We'll see in just a moment. But uh, first I thought I'd start with this quote, sign, sign, sign. Everywhere a sign, <laughs> blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that, everywhere, don't, can't you read the sign? That's a song from my youth, my teen years, my early years in the 1970s, the uh, five-man electrical band. Sign, sign, everywhere a sign. Uh, how about you? Do you pay attention to all the signs as you see them? Kind of depends, doesn't it? I like seeing signs that make me laugh, and uh, I've got some funny signs to show you. Let's see that first one. Uh, This guy just sold my homing pigeon on eBay for the 22nd time. I like that one. How about the next one? Uh, This one, touching wires causes instant death. $200 fine. So you don't want to get fined after you die. And then the next one here, uh, here's a guy that was really concerned. Private property, do not hang signs on fence. Of course, he put a sign on the fence to say, don't hang signs on the fence. And then there's one more here. Uh, if you hit this sign, you'll hit that bridge. <laughs> Apparently in that town, they had some issues there. But you know, for some people, it is easy to ignore signs or miss them all together, like, like these truck drivers. Take a look at that. Yeah. What is up with the deal there? Uh, it seems like the bridges always win, don't they? The bridges always win. Even with the flashing lights and the bright yellow stripes, the bridges still get hit. And why is that? It's because signs are so often disregarded. Signs alone don't help if you don't pay attention to them. Well, in today's text, we're going to see two different responses to Jesus based on the signs that he had already Posted along the way, if you will. The enemies of Jesus wanted some additional signs, but they ended up slamming into the Savior, kind of like these trucks ran into that bridge. And then on the other hand, the disciples, they want to believe, but they often ignore or forget the signs themselves. And so let's set the stage here. We know that Jesus has performed many miracles, healing people, restoration of sight, of hearing, even raising people from the dead, feeding crowds, huge crowds of thousands of people with very small amounts of food. He's done that at least twice now in in the Gospel of Mark. And now the Pharisees show up and they demand a sign Jesus, show us a sign from heaven. And Jesus responds in some unique ways, including a series of questions. And these questions are designed to move his true followers from wrong responses to the appropriate responses. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. Let's start, first of all, with unbelief. Unbelief. We call this the hard-hearted So the the first wrong response that Jesus wants us to move from is unbelief. And this, of course, is represented by the Pharisees in our text. And they are hard-hearted. Let's take a look in Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. So, After the feeding of the crowd of 4,000, which was in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 8, we looked at that last week, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and they went across the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, to uh, a place called uh, Dalmantha. And arriving there, having just spent a very significant time in a largely Gentile area, Jesus and his disciples arrived back in Galilee which is a Jewish territory. And who is there to greet him in very short order? Well, it's his old friends, the Pharisees, the relentless foes of Jesus. And this legalistic religious gang, they came ready for a fight. Now, our English version doesn't quite capture the antagonistic nature of the original language here. Mark tells us in English, it just says the Pharisees came. They came to Jesus. But that word came is a very specific verb, and it means that they came out as if in military rank. They came out in military rank. They marched out, and they began to argue, to dispute, if you will, to oppose Jesus. Mark tells us that they were seeking from him a sign from heaven in order to test him. Now, that doesn't mean that they wanted some sort of an objective test to discover the merit of something. No, they were seeking to place an obstacle in front of Jesus. They were trying to block his way. They didn't believe in what he was laying out. They they weren't interested in what he really was about. They were just looking for ways to discredit Jesus. And so we might say they came out swinging. They were spoiling for a fight. In verse 12, Mark says that Jesus' response was simply to sigh deeply in his spirit. He sighed deeply. Ah, I just picture Jesus kind of shaking his head there. We saw a few weeks ago about how Jesus sighed deeply on a number of different occasions, sighing over the effects of sin and demon possession, and disease, and death. But here, he sighs over the Pharisees' hard-heartedness, their open rebellion to him. These so-called spiritual leaders did not see Jesus for who he was and what he was about. And it was not because they couldn't see him. It was because they wouldn't see him. Their minds were made up, and so they opposed Jesus at every turn. And this caused Jesus to sigh, to utter a deep groan of exasperation at their attitude, at their behavior. And then did Jesus give them the sign from heaven that they demanded? No. There was no way he was going to show them a sign. With this exasperation, Jesus asks the very first question in our text. He says, why does this generation seek a sign? Now, Jesus has used signs and wonders in response to faith throughout the Gospel of Mark so far. But he's not about to be cajoled to jump when his enemies said jump. No, because their demand stems from a lack of faith. Jesus was not a traveling magician seeking to perform for people at whim, Each miracle that he performed had a purpose. It was planned, on the one hand, to bring relief to suffering people in the world, and on the other hand, to show his deity, his power. Besides, he had been doing miracles, signs, if you will, for months now there was ample proof for anyone who was truly open to believe. But these defiant Pharisees wouldn't have believed in Jesus if he had given them 20 miraculous signs right there on the spot. And so Jesus' statement that no sign would be given to this generation, it inaugurates the beginning of Israel's rejection of Jesus as their king. And that's the beginning that culminates of course in the end the crucifixion of jesus when they completely reject him as king verse 13 says that jesus and his disciples abruptly left the pharisees they crossed the sea of galilee again to the northeastern shore and this ended once and for all jesus's public ministry in galilee he was done done with galilee which is where he was from, done with these unbelieving people off on the next step of his journey, on the next part of his plan. But the abrupt, the abrupt departure is interesting because Jesus knows that these Pharisees have become settled in their unbelief. They want to fight. They don't want to grow in their faith. They want to argue. They don't want to accept what is true Jesus undoubtedly knew this proverb, Proverbs 23, 9, which says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. And so Jesus was done sharing good words to the foolish. He was off to look for others who were open to what he had to share. Because these men are so hardened against the Lord, Jesus denounces them, and then he leaves. And they experience the wrath of God's abandonment as they are turned over to their own deeds of darkness. Boy, doesn't that kind of explain what we see in our world today just a bit? I like how one commentator put it. He said, no one goes to hell because God sends them there. People go to hell because they refuse to turn from their sins and believe in Jesus. And so, friends, Let's make it our prayer that the Lord will bring people with tender hearts into our lives. With open hearts. Let's look for the people that Jesus is sending our way. And when we see them, let's step out in faith and share with them the good news. The news that Jesus is indeed our Savior. And don't be afraid, by the way to leave when you encounter the hard-hearted people who are rooted in their unbelief. Jesus left. We can leave too because we're looking for people that are open and that have tender hearts, not hard hearts. Well, next, let's consider not unbelief, but weak belief. Weak belief. We'll call this the thick-headed, the thick-headed. Not everyone that we encounter is hard-hearted, Some people have a belief that's just unformed, or it's weak in some way. We could even say that they're a bit thick-headed. That might even explain some of us sometimes, right? I'm speaking about myself, of course. (laughs) Let's look at verse 14. Now, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. So, Again, set the stage here. Once in the boat, Jesus says, we're out of here, guys. Get in the boat. Let's go. Once in the boat, one of the disciples says, hey, guys, who, who brought lunch? Well, of course, nobody had remembered it. They only had one little loaf between them. Remember we learned last week that what is referred to as a loaf was really about the size of, a, I don't know, like a large muffin or a dinner roll or something like that. So the disciples were either forgetful or because they left in a hurry, it kept them from going over their checklist of things to bring on the trip. But either way, they realized one loaf was not enough to feed 13 hungry men, the 12 disciples and Jesus. Jesus. But while they were being earthly minded, Jesus focused on a spiritual lesson that he wanted to teach them. This is a teachable moment for Jesus and his disciples. And so in verse 15, Jesus says to the disciples, it says, he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, now a small amount of leaven or yeast spreads and affects a whole loaf or, uh, of bread dough when they're mixed together. Yeast in, in scripture was a common metaphor for an invisible, pervasive influence. Now, sometimes the Bible refers to this influence in, in positive terms, but most often it is used to symbol a corrupting influence in someone's life. We might say a little bit of evil Can cause a whole bunch of harm. Have you ever noticed that in your life? It sure is true, isn't it? So here, Jesus was referring to the gradual increase of unbelief that was rooted in the Pharisees but was spreading into the people. He just encountered these Pharisees a few moments earlier and they asked for a sign. And yet their minds were already against Jesus. And so Jesus wants to warn his disciples, his 12, of the corrupting nature of the Pharisees' unbelief. And he says, watch out for that unbelief. Because refusing to believe has a hardening effect on the soul. We've already seen in Mark that Jesus has taught that unbelief leads to more unbelief and more unbelief leads to God taking away whatever light has been given and then rejected. And so it is a dangerous, slippery slope. And so did the the disciples grasp what Jesus meant? No, not even a little bit. Verse 16, it says, "...and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread." They're worried perhaps that Jesus is mad that they didn't bring lunch. Oh, what's going on? He said it because we don't have any bread. Everything Jesus was trying to teach them about the danger of the leaven of the Pharisees went totally over their heads. They heard the word yeast and they immediately jumped to the conclusion that Jesus was ticked off, that nobody had brought lunch. As if they even needed to bring bread when Jesus was with them. They'd already seen him feed these giant crowds of people with just a few loaves and fish. It didn't even occur to them that with Jesus in the boat, it would be nothing for him to feed these 13 hungry men. So check out how Jesus reacts in verses 17 through 20. And Jesus, aware of this, aware of the conversation that's going on with the guys, said to them, why are you talking about not having bread? Do you here, here comes the questions. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. And when I broke, up, uh, broke the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, seven. You know, some people just need some extra help in order to get it sometimes, right? We see this so often with the disciples. Sometimes they just don't get it. And guess what? Sometimes we just don't get it either, do we? We can be a bit thick-headed, folks. But Jesus is patient. He's patient because he wants us to move away from unbelief and through our weak belief to get us where we really need to be. That's where he wants us. And so Jesus explains it to his disciples. And he does so by using this series of kind of penetrating questions almost almost as a rebuke in order for their minds to wake up In his questions, Jesus departs from the the metaphor of the leaven of the Pharisees, and basically he rebukes the disciples for their thick-headedness and not thinking beyond temporary matters and not paying attention to the spiritual matters that Jesus wanted them to grasp. He was saying, in essence, what are you doing talking about bread? I'm talking about unbelief, and you're focused on who forgot lunch. Do you not see what's going on here? Do you not understand? Are are your hearts hardened like the Pharisees? Can't you see, guys? Can't you hear? Don't you remember? Jesus is saying, come on, guys, come on. Get with it. That's what he's saying to the guys. And then, as if that's not enough, Jesus reminds them of the results of the feeding of the crowds. He asks them about... How, how, how much was, did they collect at the end? And of course, they answer him correctly. They answer him rightly, and yet you get the idea that they're still sitting there with their mouths kind of hanging open thinking, wow, what's going on? What's this all about? They're kind of clueless. Sometimes we're a bit clueless too. And sometimes, sometimes Jesus needs to say to us, come on, folks. Get with the program. He wants to move us away from weak belief that focuses so much on the here and the now. He wants to move us. Friends, how often do we focus far too much on current events, on immediate situations, on problems and worries of this world? So much so that we forget or we don't see the big picture. Jesus wants us to see the big picture. He has a plan, he has a purpose, and we are a part of it. And it's far more significant, his plan and his purpose, far more significant than political issues or financial crises or sports or entertainment or a simple loaf of bread. Come on, guys, Jesus says to us. And so we come to Jesus' final question in this text, which reflects where he really wants us to be. He wants to move us away from unbelief and hard-heartedness and through our weak belief and our thick-headedness, and he wants to move us into pure belief. Pure belief, which we're calling the open-minded, open-mindedness. Look at verse 21, Jesus' last question. He says to the disciples, do you still not understand? And I think this, this last question, maybe it was not a, a continuation of that, the previous rebuke with all the other questions, but I think maybe it's a, a searching, a, an appeal to the disciples. He, he's really saying, now that I've reminded you, of what I've done so many times. I've reminded you of the Jewish feeding of the 12 baskets left over. And I've reminded you of the Gentile feeding and the seven baskets left over. Do you not understand what being with me means? Do you understand? Get your mind off of the things of this life and realize I will supply all your needs. That's what Jesus says. I will take care of you if you belong to me. I will be your spiritual bread. That's what Jesus is saying to us, friends. Start listening and understanding. Open your minds to who Jesus is and what he can do in our life and in this world. Do you still not understand? Jesus wants us to understand. He wants our minds to be open. Open Open-mindedness. And I use that term in a very different way than the world today uses it. Open-mindedness today in the world means anything goes. But for Jesus, open-mindedness means it's all about him. Open your minds to the big picture, to the plan and the purpose that Jesus has for you. And it extends far beyond today or this week or this year. It extends into your future and into, yes, eternity. Antiques Roadshow is one of the most popular television programs on PBS. And the premise is pretty simple. Auction houses and independent experts offer free appraisals of the antiques and collectibles that people have sitting around in their living rooms and attics and garages. In one episode a few years ago, an elderly man from Tucson, Arizona, brought in an old blanket that he had inherited a number of years before. Now, the man knew that the old blanket probably had some kind of a a value when he had inherited it, but when he brought it home, he just tossed it across the back of a chair in his bedroom. And there that blanket sat for years, sitting there in his bedroom decorating the back of his chair. It remained there until this opportunity arose for him to take it to the experts on the antique roadshow when they visited his town. And so, on the television program, with the blanket now hanging on a rack behind them, the expert appraiser tells the owner of the blanket, he says, my heart stopped when I first saw your blanket. And then the appraiser went on to explain that the item, that the blanket was a a Navajo chief's blanket that had been woven in the 1840s. And it was in wonderful condition. It was, according to the expert, one of the oldest intact Navajo weaved blankets to survive into the 21st century. And the man said it was certainly only one of a tiny handful that even existed outside of museum collections. And because of the rarity and the significance, the appraiser had no trouble assigning a value of somewhere around a half a million dollars to this blanket, a blanket that had been laying across the back of a chair in the guy's bedroom, a half a million dollars. And so as the man walked out of the convention center, the blanket that he had cavalierly carried in with him was now cradled carefully in his arms and he walked out of that building with a security guard on either side of him (laughs) and he got into his car and he drove directly to his bank where he rented a large safe deposit box and placed that blanket carefully into the deposit box do you see what's going on here what had been junk a mere accent to an old chair had been instantly transformed into a precious treasure. You see, friends, when God saves his people, bringing us from death to life, he opens our minds. He opens our minds to love and to appreciate the supreme treasure in this world, which is Jesus Christ. There is no greater treasure that we possess. Do you understand? That's what Jesus says to us. Do you understand? The Pharisees were those who would not understand because of their hard hearts and their rebellion. The disciples, they struggled to understand because they were a bit thick-headed and their focus was on the present and the things of this life. But friends, we have the opportunity to have our minds opened, to fully understand because we have all the signs. All the signs have been posted along the way for us. We have the whole picture of who Jesus is, why he came, what he did, and what he promises for our future. And that promise is a great and mighty promise. That is what we have. That is pure belief. That is true open-mindedness. And that is where Jesus wants all of us to land. And by the way, once we're there, he wants us to be very busy about helping others in their journey towards that same open-mindedness. Helping others to discover their great value in the eyes of the Lord. He wants us to be like that appraiser, telling that man, what you have is worth half a million dollars. That's our job, folks. As followers of Jesus, to be tellers. To tell people how great a value that Jesus has placed upon them. So great a value that he died for them so that they might have an opportunity to step into his eternal family to have their minds completely opened. And so let's not ignore the signs. Instead, let's move ahead together on the way that he has laid out for us. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we are so privileged, Lord to be in the boat with Jesus.